Well, church, happy Thanksgiving. It's a special weekend that we have today to be able to uh, think about what this word actually means. A number of you will probably be celebrating, and I know that for this year, it's kind of an odd year. It probably means some sort of small family gathering, COVID-appropriate, whatever you'll end up doing to meet our guidelines and to follow province advisories and stuff. You know, but Thanksgiving comes around every single year, and uh, this year is no exception, just we have to do it in a slightly different way. Now, it's interesting, right, because at the same time, even though Thanksgiving is something we remember as time with family, and you eat food, and you enjoy time with each other, moms and others who are preparing the meal often leave exhausted, and then at the end of the day, they're holiday, they're pretty tired, wake up the next day, and you go back to work, and you just kind of continue on with this sort of pattern. What I find the most fascinating is that rarely... In all the years that I've done Thanksgiving or talked to people about Thanksgiving, very rarely do I find families or people who have actually stopped, you know, or have a tradition that uh, has people at the table or those around them take time to reflect on and think about what it means, this word, Thanksgiving. Now, I've always been puzzled about that, and I've wondered why, you know, that is the case. You know, it's a Thanksgiving holiday, and yet usually it's a frantic thing, make dinner, eat, and then how much time do you actually spend doing thanksgiving or giving thanks. You know, I think there's a reason actually for why this is, and we don't actually think a lot about what the word is thanksgiving, not only I think in the Christian culture, but in the broader culture around us. You know, Dr. Peter Salovey is, the, is an American social psychologist, and he's also the current uh, president of Yale, you know, out in the States, great university. 2014, just six years ago, he gave a speech to the graduating class of Yale called On Gratitude, and he wanted to talk about this issue of thankfulness. He noted basically that until recently, social psychology and the publications really had published very, very little on the topic of thankfulness and gratitude. Now, there's a bunch of different reasons probably for why that this is the case, but one of the reasons he speculates is this. He thinks that the need to express gratitude reminds us that we are not entirely in control and that we might be indebted or dependent, that our destiny is not entirely in our hands, indeed that on occasion we are vulnerable. Now, in other words, what he's saying here, what he was telling the grad class, is you aren't self-made, you know, no matter what you might think or what this world might tell you. You know, Dr. Robert C. Solomon, who's also not a Christian, noted this about gratitude, saying that gratitude makes us uncomfortable. He says, because it forces us to recognize that none of us is wholly sufficient and without the need of help from others. Now, Salovey, talking to the Yale class, actually goes on and he says, true happiness in life and true health in society may not be possible without the capacity to reject the myth of total self-reliance. In other words, what he is saying is you have to dispense with this myth that you can tol- you've totally got things on your own, you can make your own way in life, and in fact, the reality of the thing is what society's happiness and functioning depends on is your ability to dispense with that myth and accept the fact that you aren't self-made and that you owe a ton of what you are today to the work of other people and other things around you that are fully out of your control. Now, you see, in a world that celebrates self-accomplishments and tells you, go out there and be all that you can be, you can be anything you want to be here in North America, um, this this is incredibly threatening to that sort of type of thinking. You know, people in our world who fail to acknowledge people, whether they are parents, professors, friends, neighbors, or others who are significantly influential in their life, 
and choose to believe a different narrative that, no, I totally did it all on my own, you actually become really self-centered. You actually become unable to work with other people because you fail to acknowledge the things that they actually have done for you. And you actually have a strange and a warped view of life. I mean, if you continue down this way, what actually happens is actually you build, you damage society by building things like pride, competition, selfishness, instead of things like cooperation, humility, and selflessness. So in other words, if you do, you continue on this way, right, you are really living sort of in your own world. And this is why we don't like people who are overly prideful or narcissistic as well, who fail to acknowledge the debt that they have to other people in life. Now, you can see the problem uh, not only in adults, but, but, but it starts young as well, especially if you teach children this sort of thing and you don't teach them to uh, be grateful. If you fail to cultivate gratitude in children or a sense of thankfulness, you really are setting them up for disaster for the rest of your life and also doing harm to society. Now, I just want to be clear here that I know that our culture has different views on parenting and what is good for kids, but what I want to assure you here is that Cultivating gratitude in your children does not mean having loads of money and being able to buy them anything that they want, okay? Now, I know some people feel that way, you know, maybe because they work too much or whatever, and they think, oh, i got to buy my kids this and this and stuff. I'm not a good parent if I don't do this. You know, even research shows that there's a danger in this. You know, this week I was reading uh, Amy Morin, who's a licensed clinical social worker, writing about the dangers of, in North America of overindulging children and producing in them a sense of ingratitude. She, she notes that if you simply buy your kids basically the latest gadgets, you give them anything you want, you try to make their life easy and reduce their load of responsibility over them, what you're actually teaching your kids is that life is about material things. And that furthermore, life isn't just about the material goods. Your net worth is actually what is related to your self-worth. So the more money you have, the better off that you should be. So that's functionally what you do when you try to pull all these things and coddle your kids and give them everything that they possibly could want. She notes that research actually shows this, that overindulged children struggle with lifelong problems, including chronic discontentment, overeating, overspending, and they have actual trouble coping with reality. See, this should be immensely encouraging to those of you who are not rich and you can't afford to buy your kids everything that they want. And the reason why is because the scriptures, I think, also speak about this, is that it's dangerous actually to do that. There is a benefit in trials. There is a benefit in having lack and there is a benefit in having want and going through very, very difficult seasons in life. You know, what the scriptures actually teach is that nobody is actually too poor to be able to receive or to pass on God's gift on gratitude. Your ability to have gratitude and thankfulness in your family is not dependent on you having a 100K income uh, over your household. So the point is that the Bible is going to make here, as we're going to see, is that when we acknowledge who God is and discover a life in Him, keeping God at the center, who is the source of all things, who supplies us all things that ultimately lead us to a place of eternal thankfulness, that's when we can actually find ourselves really grateful from the heart. See, when, but when we choose to go the opposite direction and we fail to acknowledge God for who He is and don't recognize Him for the significant impact that He has made in our lives, the same way that we need to recognize parents, neighbors, friends, professors, and others who made us 
The point is, if we fail to acknowledge Him, bad things will happen to our lives. We will live in a warped view of reality, and ultimately, we will be ungrateful and unhappy. And it will destroy not only our society and ourselves, but our very own souls. See, what you think about gratitude and how much you think about thankfulness actually really matters. It matters for you, it matters for your society, and it matters with your eternal relationship with God. Now, now let me just say, though, that at the outset, you can't coerce someone into being thankful, okay? You can't, the way to fix a gratitude problem in a person is not just to go up to them and say, be thankful, you know, come on, like, just, why aren't you happy? You know, try, you know, just try to be thankful. See, thankfulness is something that comes from inside and plays itself out through your words and in your actions and the way that you treat other people. And if people don't understand why or have reasons for why they should be thankful, you cannot just urge them to be thankful. Now, for example, like going back to kids, if you have a young kid and you have them opening up presents on Christmas morning and the child pulls open a nice sort of flat package, then they tear it open, it's a brand new shiny iPad, and you say, and they go, wow, this is a nice little iPad and stuff. And then they open another package, which is also rectangular and a little bulky, and they discover it's a handmade sweater from grandma. Unfortunately, this is probably what is going to happen with your kids. The kid will take the sweater and drop the sweater on the side and go pick up the iPad and tap away on the iPad instead. Now, uh, for most of us, we understand, I'm like, okay, you know, kids, kids are just kids, right? And I mean, they, they see only the value in the iPad because the iPad can play games and do all these, you know, fun noises and sounds. And so they like that thing, but they think very little of the fact that grandma actually took time to knit that sweater by hand for them. Now, if you're an adult, let's say, and the same thing happened, and you know, your spouse opens up on Christmas morning packages, and one is an iPad and the other is a sweater that you, let's say a husband, took time to learn how to knit, and you put this thing together, and you said, honey, I made this sweater for you. You know, I, I know it's not worth a lot, so, but I made it for you with love. And you say, here you go. And your spouse looks at the sweater and says, ah, it's kind of cheap, and drops it off on the side, picks up the iPad and says, but I love this. Instead, how will you feel? You feel hurt. You feel devastated. Why? It's, it's not, it's because, it's because you realize that as adults, we realize there are things that are way more important than just simply giving gifts. As adults, we come to realize that what's more important behind that $10 of yarn that went into making the sweater is the love that went into making that, a symbol of affection and token of, you know, this covenant marriage that we're in, saying, I learned this skill for you. And so as adults, we learn to appreciate not just the gift, but the giver that is behind the gift. And so any normal functioning person would look at that and say, sweetheart, I know this iPad costs a lot of money and said, but what I value really is you. I love this sweater, and if I had to choose between the two of them, I'll keep that sweater any day. You know, so that's, that's, that's the difference. You understand gratitude is centered around people. It's centered around relationships, and it needs to be bred and cultivated in the context of relationships. So you know what thankfulness actually is if you think about it? Thankfulness, I would say, is actually a gauge, a gauge that actually measures the spiritual health of your soul. See, when you have thankfulness and gratitude towards friends and family members, you're acknowledging the fact that you're not your own, and they were responsible for helping you be what you are today. And in the same way, when it comes to the God, 
If you are thankful towards God, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that you are not self-made and that you are absolutely dependent on the one who created the whole world, gives you life today, and continues to sustain you even now. Your best accomplishments are only possible because of what God has done for you. You see, this is why, do you understand why thankfulness really is a barometer or an gauge? A thankful heart shows something about the type of health in your relationship with God for all the world to see. See, if you go to a doctor every single year, you know, for your annual test, you get a battery of tests that can show you if different parts of your body are working fine and what your overall health is. Same thing when it comes to thankfulness. You don't need to go to a doctor's office. Just open the Bible, think about God, pray, and check your heart. You want to know what your spiritual health is like? You check your thankfulness gauge in relation to God. You know that Canadian Thanksgiving originally didn't start off with turkey dinners and time with family around the tables? Actually, it was actually a time for the nation as a whole to thank God. Actually, what precipitated the rise of Thanksgiving in Canada was the fact that in 1859, Charles Darwin published his famous work on the origin of species, And as a result of the publication of that book, a number of Protestant ministers were rather alarmed in Canada, and they called and lobbied for the national government to create a holiday in which they might express thanksgiving towards God. And they called people everywhere basically to say, we have to remember that we are dependent on God, and we need to thank Him for the bountiful harvest that we enjoy here in Canada. So it really was a reaction to what Darwin was doing and promoting with his book. You know, Thanksgiving, actually, back in the day, over 150 years ago, was not held on a Monday. It was actually held midweek. So people actually would shut down all their businesses, and all the Canadians would actually file into church instead. And they would spend time worshiping God and thanking Him for His incredible provision over their lives. That's actually where the word came from. And then the next day, if you missed it, people would... Preachers would publish their sermons in Canadian newspapers so that people could read about the thanksgiving that was preached in their local churches. It was a very significant thing. But, you know, it didn't take long, you know, 1870s, 1880s, and 1890s onwards for people to begin to forget this, and the thanksgiving period became more and more secular and commercialized. And eventually people moved it to the second Monday of October to give people a three-day weekend, and slowly but surely, the idea of a time to honor God for what He has done for us disappeared. And today, there's very, very little of that. I don't know how many people actually have church on, on Thanksgiving Monday anymore. I've never been to a service like that in Canada. You know, today, you know, Canadians, you know, Canada suffers from a host of problems. You know, it's, it's very clear, like any other nation on the world. But the Scriptures teach that the way back to true and flourishing life, that is a deep life, the life that we should be living, is actually through deep reflection and thankfulness actually to the God who has made us. Our spiritual health, our very lives, are contingent on God Himself, and how we relate to Him absolutely matters. So what I'd like to do for us today as we go through the Scriptures, is to look at three things from the Scriptures about thanksgiving that I think are actually essential for us to know about spiritual health as individuals and also as a country. Three things, basically. I want to go through this. I want to go through why we give thanks, when we should give thanks, and then also the the blessings and the benefits of being thankful. Okay? Now, as I launch this, I want to say something at the outset. One is that when you look at the Bible, is that Thanksgiving has always been a part of the, of the heart of God's people. When you look, for example, in the Old Testament, Thanksgiving is everywhere. 
So in Leviticus, you have all these commands for the Israelites to give thanksgiving offerings to God. You have David, for example, who assigned professional thanksgivers in the temple, basically, uh, I mean, in, uh, around God's tabernacle, basically to give God praise continually. This is what the text says in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles 23, verse 30. And they were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord, and likewise at evening. And whenever burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on Sabbaths, new moons, and feast days, according to the number required of them, regularly before the Lord. So you had professional people who gave thanks to the Lord. Be interesting in a society. What's your job? I'm a thanksgiver. Huh, does that job come with benefits? You know, it's like, you know, this, is, this was a function in Israel. That's how important thanksgiving and praise was. Now, the entire book of Psalms basically resounds with thanksgiving and praise. And the New Testament is also similar. You go to the New Testament, and uh, you see thanksgiving everywhere as well. You know, sometimes you have people who come and talk to me, and they say, isn't Christianity just all about rules like any other religion and so on? And I say to them, well, have you, have you actually read the New Testament? Have you read the letters of Paul? Do you know how all the Pauline letters basically start? You read, like, the book of Philippians. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you and every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Or in 2 Timothy, he's talking to this beloved disciple of his, and he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Again, thanksgiving. Or like the book of Thessalonians, the way he starts, he says, we give thanks to God for all of you. This is basically how all of Paul's letters start. Like, you can't read one of these letters without realizing that at the heart of the Christian, before he starts penning instructions or saying anything, is he says, I can't help but write about the thankfulness I have towards God. See, that's, that's basically what it is. If you ask me what's at the center of Christianity, it's actually thankfulness to God for what he has done. Now, why do we go and give God thanks, okay? Why do we thank him? What reason do we have as Christians to thank him? I want to show you three things from the Bible, three things I think are part of the reason why we give God thanks. Okay, number one, we give God thanks for his mercy and for his redemption in our lives. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 57 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, every true Christian rejoices at this verse. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. You know, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. Before God, we had no hope whatsoever. We were lost in this world without anything. And then the day came when we realized what Jesus had done for us. We realized that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins to reconcile us to God. He paid the price that we could not ever hope to pay to settle the anger of God on our account. He gave us his own perfect and righteous life. He purchased us with his very own blood and he gave us the right to become his very own children who will live forever one day with God. Not because of anything good that we have done, but because of his full grace and his kindness. You know, that's the story that we have as Christians. So when we read verses like this, even I, I find my heart warmed strangely, if not after so many years, as I think about the cross of Christ and what it has done for me. You know, I, my, one of my favorite stories is the story of Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, probably the, second, the best-selling book in the English language apart from the Bible. 
And it tells the story of a man named Christian, basically, who's on his way out of the city of destruction, heading towards the celestial city or the city of God. And on his way, he's burdened because he has this huge rock of sin that he's carrying on his back, and he wants to be free of it. And there's a part in the book as he's walking, and he climbs up this basically large hill, and he sees there at the top the cross. And as he looks at the cross, he feels his heart lighten, tears stream down his eyes, and the big burden of sin that's on his back falls off and it rolls away. And down, down, down it goes until it rolls into the empty grave, presumably where Christ was, never to be seen again. You know, as a Christian, for many of you who came to faith, especially as adults, maybe even as children as well, some of you remember that day what it was like when you came to understand who Jesus was, when you realized that you were a sinner and yet he had offered you forgiveness and it felt just like that, that a huge burden had been taken away from your soul and you realized that you were free. Perhaps you cried that day. Perhaps you just simply fell on your knees and you praised God for what he had done for you. I don't know what it was for you, but you remember your gratitude for what he had done for you. That's common to all Christians. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, you will have felt something like this as well. And that's why I love the words of that old hymn that says, you know, um, that speaking, the, the hymn writer speaking says, uh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You know, that's the joy of the Christian heart. So if we have any reason of why we should give thanks to God, and if that was the only reason, I think we'd have every reason to praise Him for all of eternity. That's a significant thing. But that's not the only reason we can praise God. I'm going to give you another one as well, okay? As significant as that one is. Number two, God's providence in our lives. We praise Him for it. And by this, I mean God's providence as in Him taking care of us in life, protecting us from danger, and giving us the things that we need. Like, for example, if you read in Acts chapter 14, there's a story about Paul and Barnabas healing a man who is lame, and the people are so excited, and they think that they are gods, and rush out to want to worship them, basically, as Zeus and Hermes. And when Paul and Barnabas see this, they actually tear their clothes, run out into the crowd and say, men, we're just men like you. Don't worship us. You should worship the God who is, who made everything in this world. Do you know how you know that he exists? Acts chapter 14, verse 17 says this, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So in other words, Paul is saying here, do you know how you know that God is real? It's the fact that you're alive and that you have food to eat every day. That should be a witness to you. See, the Bible teaches us that the food we eat is nothing short of a gracious gift from God himself. And sadly, many Canadians cannot see this today. We think that our food is the result of Canadian ingenuity or our agricultural skill. Very much the same problem that people had 2,000 years ago in Lystra. Nothing has changed. If the heart is cold towards God and the eyes do not see, you will never see God in the little things that he does for us every day that are actually huge in how they help us to survive. But not us as Christians, right? We as Christians understand this and we thank God for his incredible provision every day. And whether that's saving us from physical enemies, like in the Psalms when David gives praise, or like in Philippians 2 when God heals Epaphroditus and he heals us as well, we give him praise. There are so many reasons and things to give God praise for, whether that's answering our prayers, giving us delicious food to eat, or uh, 
protecting us from our enemies. God is the ultimate provider of everything. So this is one of the other reasons that we can give him thanks. Now, a third one that I think is critical for us is the work of God in other people's lives. Number three, we praise him for God's work in other people's lives. This is what Philippians 1 verses 3 to 5 says. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So you ask the question, why was Paul thankful and what made him so excited as he wrote this letter to his beloved Philippians? He says, because of your partnership, your fellowship, or your sharing in the gospel. That's why he was excited. He was excited for other Christians living out their Christian faith. That's what stirred his heart. See, it's always exciting to see God work in the hearts of your brothers and sisters, your co-laborers and your teammates playing on the same team in this race of the Christian life in a world that needs to know him. You know, to give you an analogy, our city loves the Vancouver Canucks. Ever since I was young, and I know this has always been a hockey town, And I remember years ago, at my church college group, we were meeting, and everybody was excited about how the Canucks were doing, I think, in the playoff season or whatever against the Oilers, except for one guy who was sitting there. When people found out that he was from Edmonton, there were loud boos, and then people pretended to vacate the seats next to him and abandon this Christian brother in our college group. Now, It's funny, actually, to see in the reaction from people, and the reason why we know is because in Vancouver, the truth is no true-blooded Oilers fan will ever celebrate for the Vancouver Canucks. It's impossible. And as I was thinking about that, although that happened so many years ago, I think it's the same thing, actually, when it comes to Christians. I fear that many ungrateful Christians are actually no different from Oilers fans who are very far away from home. They're not excited about seeing Christians grow in love. They are not excited about missionaries. Every time they think about giving, it's very difficult. When they hear about God's people serving and growing, it does nothing for their souls. Why is that? And I think it's a question of essence. Why? Because they might only be Christians in name and not actually in heart. Right? Just because you call yourself a Vancouverite and you have an address here, does not make you actually a true Vancouverite who roots for the home team. Just because you say you have a residence here does not mean that you actually care about the sports team that many people in our city love. Same deal, I think, for Christians. Not all who call themselves Christians truly have a Christian heart. You might have a residential address in a church. You might have a membership as well, but you might not actually love it. You might not actually love God. You might not even think about things of God. How do you know? Check your thankfulness gauge. And if you find that the things of God stir you very little, you have little appreciation for missionaries, your heart is not excited by his word, and all you can think about is everything else other than church. Sitting here even right now, you're like, this is boring. I can't wait to be out playing my video games and stuff. You know, where is your heart actually at? Do you care about God's people? Which team are you really playing on? It's a significant question. You know the best encouragement that you can give me as a pastor? I know this is Pastor's Appreciation Month and people have been calling and letting me know things, you know, and um, 
Some have brought food. I just want to say, money or food is, is not the thing that I want. I mean, I'm not opposed to you bringing food. You're, a lot of you, your cooking is really good, and we've really enjoyed it. But, but I'm not saying you're, you're obligated to do such things. You know, I love the food. But, but you know what I actually love more? Do you know what really stirs my heart? What really stirs my heart is when you come and tell me, you know, Pastor Sam, like, I, want, I want to tell you about some stories about what God is doing in my life. I want to tell you about something that God was pressing on me to do, a sin I needed to get rid of. Somehow he was telling me to give away a part of my fortune to support someone else. I want to tell you about a new ministry that I've started and I feel God's encouragement and blessing over. I would say, that is food for my soul. That's how you encourage me. I love your home-cooked dumplings and the other things that you bring, but you know what I love more? What I really want to eat is I want to eat and feast on the joy that you have in serving the Lord Jesus Christ so that I can say as Paul, you know why I'm thankful to God is because of your partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're playing on the same team. You're fighting for my Lord and my great captain as well. That's what excites my heart. See, does that excite your heart as a Christian? Check your gauge. True Christians love God's work. Now, that's three reasons why I think we can uh, give God thanks. I want to talk about now three reasons about when, three times we are called to give God thanks. When should we give thanks, okay? Number one, when can we give God thanks? Number one, in times of prosperity. Now, the Bible has a lot of stories about giving God praise when times are good, right? Like in temple worship, in Second Chronicles, you find the people are super excited. They start praising God. There's one text that says that the people basically ate food at the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to God when Hezekiah, King Hezekiah restored temple worship. You know, other times when the people were rebuilding the temple in Ezra, you know, the people were excited and they're happy. Yes, in times of happiness, we do give God thanks. And that seems to be quite understandable and normal. But God isn't just to be praised in good times. He's to be praised in very difficult times as well. Number two, for those of you who are following along, I would say God is to be praised in times of persecution as well. For example, you read in Daniel chapter 6 about how there's a bunch of government officials who hate Daniel, and they come up with a scheme to try to get rid of him by tricking the king into making a law that says anybody who worships any other god or anything other than the king should be killed. When Daniel hears about that, This is what Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. You see what Daniel does here. What's incredible about this is that the text says he knew He knew full well that this document had been signed. He throws open the windows anyways and does not allow it to interrupt his routine. And he shows everyone that I will worship only the Lord my God. See, if your sense of gratitude towards God is tied only to material things, like your money or your health, and those things are threatened or they're taken away from you, you will very quickly abandon God and you will lose your happiness because your happiness is not bound up in God, but in these things. See, but if your ultimate gratitude is centered in God himself, not your physical well-being, not your money, it doesn't matter then at that point. Neither life, life nor death or angels or demons or anything else all in creation will ultimately be able to rob you of that joy and your thankfulness to God. God does not change. He is not affected by persecution. 
so neither will your ultimate sense of thankfulness be. That doesn't mean that persecution isn't hard, but it means that it ultimately will not be eternally lasting over your life. See, persecution might rob you of your goal, but it will never rob you of who your God is. And that is something we can take to heart. That's why Paul and Silas, in Acts chapter 16, though they were in jail and their feet were in stocks, most people will be moaning and wondering about what to do, how to relieve their pain. You find those two guys instead singing hymns to God at midnight. And it obviously was loud because the Philippian jailer heard it, was listening to it, and then when there was an earthquake and he realized something significant was happening, he runs in to Paul and Silas and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You realize that he didn't have a gospel conversation with them at all? Probably the only way he heard the gospel at that point was because Saul, Paul, and Silas were singing about Jesus and the cross and whatever hymns they were singing, and he got the whole gospel presentation like a musical in jail. That's significant. And he was saved that very evening. Can't waste your persecution. You never know what God is doing in it. Number three, praising God in times of suffering. I want to acknowledge, because I know there are a number of you here uh, in church, for you, this Thanksgiving or your Thanksgivings of the past are extremely difficult times, especially when you look at that particular chair that you know is not going to be sat in this Thanksgiving. It's painful, I know, and it's a fact of life. You know, when you're young, life is all about gain, right? You gain new toys, you gain strength. You know, you, you get married, right? You maybe have kids, you know, you get a new job, you know, you get a university degree, your paycheck continues to increase, hopefully. And then in the later years of your life, aging happens, right? And it becomes switches some point or another, it becomes about loss. Lose family, friends move away, people start to die, you attend more funerals than you do weddings, you lose your strength, you lose your ability to work, and it's a decline from then on out. What are we supposed to do in such times? You know, Job is a hard story to read, but an incredibly encouraging story of a man in the Scriptures who lost all of his money, even his health, and ten kids in a single day. I think very few of us can understand that depth and level of suffering that Job experienced. But when that happened to Job, it's interesting how he responds. Job chapter 1, verse 20 says this, After Job heard these things, Job arose and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, what is the Christian secret to having joy and contentment and thankfulness in the midst of loss? The answer is, it is the deep sense of recognition that all that we have ultimately comes from the Lord. And whether he gives or he takes away, he is still good. You know, for my wife and I, this is very real for us every Thanksgiving. And I often tell people when they ask me uh, if it's appropriate, I'm a father of five. I have and by that I mean I have three kids who are currently with me, Two who are in the presence of Jesus that I hopefully, uh, you know, one day if God, you know, God, God willing, you know, I will see one day again in glory and have my true family, you know, united with and complete. You know, my wife and I were newlyweds actually just barely five months into our marriage when we ended up in the hospital with a miscarriage. And as a young husband, I actually didn't know what to do. 
in terms of comforting my wife. We were so new at this thing. I just recited the scriptures we knew. I held her hand. We prayed. And uh, I pulled out the only book that I had in my bag at the time, and it was Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, if any of you know anything about this book, it's a, it's a rough book. It's gruesome, you know, all these martyr stories, people who are being killed, strangled, throats cut open, right, and all this stuff. But it's, strangely enough, that being the only book that I had, I pulled it out and began to read this thing in the ER. And as we read about the stories of the early uh, Christian fathers, early Christians, how they were slaughtered and they died with a song of joy on their lips, we were strangely comforted by this as we experienced the loss of our baby. I wrote this in my diary afterwards as I reflected on my grief. How can I say that I have lost a baby? How is it that man has any control over what is knitted together in the womb? For the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. No, we did not gain anything that was of our own fruits and labors, and we did not lose anything that was of our own fruits and labors. For the Lord is good, and he is good all the time. You know, friends, I want to ask you, you know, who are sitting here, do you have that kind of assurance in your life? Do you truly believe in your heart that God is good all the time, not just when your kid keys the car and you can fix that, but when you actually don't have the baby that you prayed for and you wanted so badly and it's taken away from you? You know, we went on to have actually two other children that were conceived around Thanksgiving, and then we also went on to have another miscarriage around Thanksgiving. For us, Thanksgiving actually is two and two. A reminder every Thanksgiving that rolls by that the Lord gave two that we have and he took away two as well. Thanksgiving for our family is a very, very special time. It's a time in which I am reminded that God's goodness and the reason that I am thankful is not because he allowed me to have all four kids, but the fact that he is good no matter whether he gives and he takes away is what is imprinted on my family's heart at Thanksgiving. We'll never forget that. I think this is why Paul can mean exactly what he says when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? This is not a platitude. This is not one of those things that Christians say, like in our culture, well, when life gives you lemons, they make lemonade. I'm like, well, when life kills you, you can't really make lemonade. You know what I mean? I understand what people are trying to do. They're trying to say, make the best of every situation. But some situations are so crippling, so difficult in life, it's not that easy to do. And yet, through all this, Paul gives inspired scripture here, and he says, right, all circumstances you can rejoice, all circumstances you give thanks. Why? Because of who God is. He will never change. He is always good in sickness and in health and in good times and in bad times. And that's a heart as a Christian. God will get me through this. That's my deep assurance. I love it when Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I have found the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's amazing what he says, right? He says, I have found the secret of facing plenty and abundance. You actually need to know how to face plenty. Because if you don't, you might actually forget God in the midst of your plenty. The way that many of us Canadians do is we forget that God is actually responsible for the harvest. Worse also, we might actually forget in our times of difficulty that God is actually the one who is taking care of us and we ultimately don't need to worry about it. You know, church, those are all 
times we can give thanks to God, always. Let me talk about three things here, just to, to close up here, the benefits of giving thanks. Okay. Number one, the benefits of giving thanksgiving. One is thanksgiving is the basis of generosity. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 2, we read this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that you know why these people are so generous? It's because they're a thankful people. They saw, the Macedonians, the wealth that was given them through Jesus Christ, and they could not wait, even though they were poor, to pour out generosity and wealth towards you as well, even though they were so destitute. See, if you want to grow in generosity, then you need to know how rich you are. And a thankful life, a life that understands how rich God has been towards you, is a life then which will pour itself out in others. You know, I remember the story of a man who was very rich, basically, and began giving away a lot of his fortune and his wealth to helping others. And yet, for some reason, he remained so prosperous. And while his friends asked him, he said, what's your secret? How is it that you can keep giving like this? And you are still so well taken care of. And his answer to them was basically, oh, that's a very easy thing. I keep shoveling out of the bin that God gives me, but God keeps shoveling from his bin into mine. The only difference is that God has a much bigger shovel. See, that's how Christianity works, right, in terms of generosity. You shovel it out, but don't think you can ever outgive God who pours out his blessings on his children. You can never lose serving a God like this who urges you to give and gives you joy when you see others blessed by your work and your giving and also has a bigger shovel than you. Second thing, the benefit of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is also God's prescription medication for sin. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 4 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper amongst the saints, that there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Do you know why adultery happens? It starts with ingratitude. My wife is not as pretty. My husband is not as handsome. I am unhappy in my marriage. I wish things were different. And it becomes hard as you do this. It becomes easier and easier to sin. But when you meditate on what God has to say, and you say, God, it's tough now, but I know you put this together for me at the beginning. God, I know this is difficult, but help me to persevere. God, even though I'm upset with my spouse or my children right now, I can see the blessings that you've given, through, given to me through them. Help me to meditate on these things. It becomes way harder to sin when you have an attitude of thankfulness as you rehearse all the good things that God has given to you in your particular circumstances. See, sin almost always involves you trying to seize something that you're not supposed to have because of discontentment in your particular situation. You know, doctors tell you, you need to exercise every day to stay healthy. The scriptures tell you, you need to exercise thanksgiving every day in order to stay spiritually healthy. See, when you're working out by rehearsing God's goodness towards you, you're actually strengthening your prayer life and the fleeting treasures of Egypt. All those things that would tempt you to sin become much dimmer towards you. It's like what Joseph did when he was in Egypt. This story is told about Joseph, Potiphar's wife, who tried to seduce him. And Joseph, in Genesis 39, basically responds to her and says, Look, your master sent me over everything here. He hasn't kept back anything from me. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God by being with you? You see how Joseph functions and how he fights sin at this point? 
His logic is God watches everything I do. In fact, he has blessed me, and I am very thankful for this. And out of gratitude for, and, and the fact that I have gratitude towards my God, how could I betray that relationship that we have with each other by doing this with you? See, this is how exercising thankfulness regularly helped a slave in Egypt. In other words, my conclusion of this is thankfulness is not a nice-to-have thing. It's an essential that actually protects your soul. Last one, number three. Thanksgiving is a mark of a healthy, spirit-filled life. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father through in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Do you know what one of the marks is of a Spirit-filled life here? The answer is thankfulness. It's not miracles. It's not speaking in tongues and all those things or preaching sermons in which thousands of people come and fall down in conviction and pray and start crying and weeping. No, those are all good things as well that God's Spirit does. But the mark of the, one of the marks of the Spirit in this passage here is thankfulness. If you live a life in which you're going around constantly joyful in what God has done for you, despite your most extreme and difficult circumstances, and you know Christians who are like that, they always seem to just be upbeat, but not like insensitive or foolish, but they actually are really joyful in God. That is a mark of being filled with the Spirit of God. So don't look for miracles, guys. Look for thankfulness. It shows you something about a Spirit-filled, healthy life. Church, as we wrap this up today, you know, my question for you is, is Thanksgiving a lifestyle for you? If you were to check your gauge, where is your barometer reading right now? What's it reading with regards to your spiritual health towards God? You know, if your thankfulness is in the things of this world, it will come and go like the wind. But if your thankfulness is in eternal things where Christ is, it can never be taken away from you no matter what happens to you in this life. You want to be filled with gratitude and get rid of your striving to make a name for yourself, to ditch your ultimate fears and to find satisfaction and life for your soul, then you turn to Jesus Christ, the God who is eternal, the God who has done all things for us and offers us a relationship with Him, salvation from our own sins, and every reason to be thankful in the midst of loss and in the midst of prosperity. We will always have Him. Do you want real and lasting change in your life? There is only one way, and that comes through one who is eternal, Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of you listening to this right now, you're thinking, I need a new start in life. Do you want to be recreated? Well, turn to God and become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Experience the power of the new birth and find the joy that can only come through our Savior. This Thanksgiving, what I want to challenge you to do is this. Around your homes, with your spouse, or at your dinner table, take time. Take time, list out five things. Go around the table, list out five things. Speak them out of why you are thankful. And as you speak out what you are thankful for, may God warm your own heart. And as you listen to God's work in other people's lives, may God also encourage you through that so that you might realize, oh God, you really are good. I have forgotten. Forgive me, God, for my forgetfulness. Thank you so much for the work that you have done in my life and in the life of my friends and in my family members as well. I know that you are always good, but now I see it more clearly. Help me to enjoy a Thanksgiving dinner this Monday in true Thanksgiving for you. Church, let's pray and close.
Father in heaven, we're so grateful, God, for what your word has to say about thanksgiving. That we can be thankful, God, for things that go beyond this life. God, help us not to waste what your word has given us here and to look at our thankfulness gauge in our own souls. And God, I just pray for those maybe who are struggling with bitterness, anxiety, maybe upsetness towards you because life has been really hard lately, God, and it's hard to see what you're doing. Father, I just pray and I beg, O Lord, that you would help. Father, I pray, O God, that in their hearts they would find true reasons, O God, scriptural reasons to be thankful to you. And that as we, O God, meditate on these reasons and actually open our eyes to see all the good things that you have given us, O God, we will find ourselves encouraged and we will realize that you are with us even in times that seem so bad. So, Father, help us this weekend, O God, to offer thanksgiving from truly grateful hearts. And we praise you, O Lord, for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.